Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to start with um, with a story. It's a it's a classic Hasidic story um, that's that's about Reb Zusha. So if you if you don't know who Reb Zusha is, he's one of the the all time great figures in in uh, Hasidic lore. He was a, a real person, and um, and he was known like here. Here's the most famous story about Reb Zusha, um, the one everyone knows. It's a classic. So. So, first of all, Reb Zusha was so humble that he never used the word I, which is like an amazing discipline. If you, if, you actually, if you actually know it, that if you practice, try to go through a day without saying the word I. So what would he say instead of I? He would say Zusha. So that's, that's, there's a worlds in, in, in that thought alone. But anyway, so, so he said regarding, regarding himself, he said that, um, you know, at the end of my life, I'm not afraid that, that they're going to say to me, Zusha, why weren't you Moshe, right? Why didn't you achieve the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, right? He said, what I'm, what I'm terrified of is they're going to say, Zusha, why weren't you Zusha, right? So a very, that's, you, you can, if you think about that, you can cry a million tears over that, that teaching alone. Um, so... So he was also actually a, a great Talmud Chacham, a great Torah scholar, a great mind, although he's not usually portrayed that way in these stories. And you should know that his, probably the reason why, I'm just sort of speculating, is because his brother was probably an even greater figure in Jewish history, um, Reb Elimelech of Lezhensk, who is like right up there with the, with the Baal Shem Tov. I mean, one of his students, just to tell you who one of... Rebbe Elimelech of Legence's students was, it was the Chos of Lublin, the, the seer of Lublin. So that was a student of, of Rebbe Elimelech. And to this day, all around the world, one of the great pil- pilgrimage dates on the Jewish calendar, besides seeing Rebbe Nachman in Uman for Rosh Hashanah, is going to Rebbe Elimelech of Legence's kever, his gravesite. Um, and and that's, a, that's an amazing thing. I actually had the amazing schus to be able to, this is sort of like a, a, a mystical custom, it will sound kind of strange when you hear it if you're not familiar with this, but to actually lie on his burial place. Usually it's, it's like locked up, like, like most people have gone even dozens of times, like never get a chance to do that. So I, I'm not sure why that was, but when I was there, the gates were open, so. So as Reb Shlomo says, when the gates are open, you've got to go through, right? So there you go. Um, so, but back to Reb Zusha. So this is a famous story about Reb Zusha. And I don't have all the details, I'm sorry, but I do have the, I do have the end of the story, which is the story. So there was a person, and he went to a big Rebbe, maybe it was the Alter Rebbe, I'm not sure. And he said, I have all these problems in my life. And I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to deal with them. And, and the, the Rebbe, whichever Rebbe it was, said, go and see Reb Zusha. He'll be able to answer all of your problems. So, so the person travels to this, this backwater, Anipol, which is, was, you know, just like there was nothing going on in that place. And the person's traveling a long way and thinking, you know, like, this is a very odd place for a person who will have all the answers to be living, you know. And he finds his address, Reb Zusha's address, and it's a broken down shack because Reb Zusha was, was famously impoverished. Okay, and he's just thinking, what's going on? And he, he goes to the door and he knocks on the door, and Reb Zusha comes, 
and he greets him and he says, you know, like, how can I help you? What can, what, what, what can I do for you? And, he, he, and the person says, you know, I, I was sent here to, to find out from you how to deal with all of my problems in life, that you are an expert in dealing with, like, life's problems and disappointments, right? And Reb Zusha looked at him and said, I don't understand. <laughs> I, what, what, what do you mean problems? <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that was, that was the answer. That's the end of the story. That was, that was the answer, that Reb Zusha was not even aware that he was in this place of tremendous hardship. So, so this, is, this is a very exalted level, obviously. And the question is, how can you see the good no matter what? So I'm going to try to explain that story as best as I can, and that will be today's talk, just really trying to explain that story. But I think in, in explaining that story, in my opinion, there's some core secrets to life. Because if you can be happy under any circumstances, no matter what, not just when things are going your way, but when things aren't going your way, then you've basically kind of found the secret to life, haven't you? So um, I don't know how well we'll do, but let's, it's a fairly ambitious goal. But let's, let's just see what the Torah has to say about this. And we'll, we'll build a structure and, and see how far we get. And hopefully, um, hopefully it will be meaningful. Um, so it's meaningful to me that, that this week's Parsha was Parsha Shalach. This is when the, the spies go out to, to look at the land of Israel. Um, I, I think that this is, you know, every letter of the Torah is, is crucial. You know, if the Torah is missing one letter, it's not kosher. And by the way, every single person stands for a letter of the Torah. So if one person is missing from this divine plan, the whole thing falls apart. So everybody is necessary. Every, every letter is necessary. So how can you say one part of the Torah is more significant than another? Okay, you can't, but... There's certain lessons that are such core teachings and so essential to our life. And a lot of them, a, a, an overwhelming bulk of them, are actually contained in, 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 in this week's Parsha. And basically it all boils down to this one question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it the way Reb Shlomo, with the, with the way I heard Reb Shlomo say it. And it was a turn of phrase that really changed my life. And, and it's, it's the following. You ready? What kind of eyes are you looking at the world with? That's it. That's it. What kind of eyes are you looking at the world with? Because the answer to that question is going to actually determine what kind of life you lead. See, it's that's such a meaningful question on so many different levels. And, and, and wh- one of the crucial levels is it puts choice in your hands. What kind of eyes are you looking at the world with implies that you get to decide what kind of eyes do I want to look at the world with. You see, it, it, it takes away, it just pulls the rug of victimhood underneath you, and it removes it. Because it tells you that when it comes to your own, like, just core relationship with God, with reality, with your life, with your relationships and everything like that, the ball is in your court. 
And, and to answer very directly, right, and we'll build to these answers later. We'll sort of derive these in much fancier ways. But let's, let's get the cheat sheet first. Let's get the answers first. And then maybe we'll enjoy the, the, the deriving the lessons more if we're, if, we're, if we're equipped with the answers. The answer is that you have to find the good in everything. And, and, and this is one of the, the strongest teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, to actually search out the good in every situation. And it's very important that he says to search out the good, to find the good, because it requires effort. See, one of the things I heard Rabbi Shlomo say one time is, he says, in this day and age, you ready for this? In this day and age, it's a criminal offense to be superficial which is a very, very interesting statement. In other words, we, we now see whether, you, whether you're sort of spiritually inclined or not. All you have to do is open any day's paper and look at the latest mind-bending breakthroughs that, that they're making in the scientific world, and you realize there is so much going on that doesn't meet the eye, right? In other words, if you want to be in touch with what's actually going on, not sort of like, oh, I'm putting a happy spin on it. I'm just talking about with what's going on in a basic level, you've got to peel through a lot of layers. So, 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 so it goes with finding the good as well. In other words, we have to break this formula that all of us um, find ourselves in. And now, now we'll, we'll proceed to the next steps over here. You see, one of the things that the more I learn, you see, I, ideally, it's, it's funny. I'll tell you a story. There was a, a great Rav, I'm not sure who it is, maybe from Dvinsk, I'm not sh- sure who it was, but it, one of the, the greatest um, Rosh Yeshiva, you know, Talmud Chachams of the last hundred years. And one of his great skills was to be able to take vastly complex things and make them simple. Right? So... So he went, he was auditioning for a job to be the rabbi of a particular community. And he gave a speech, and um, he didn't get the job. Now you have to understand, this is like, who wouldn't give this Rav that job? Like, it's like, what a prize for the community to get this legendary Rav. He didn't get the job. And so they told him, they said, you know something? The one who, who uh, auditioned before you for this job was like, was deeper than you. Because when he spoke, no one could follow him. <laughs> and they didn't understand that it was a sign of his greatness that he was able to make these ideas understandable. Right? So in terms of my own personal learning, my own personal development in Torah, what I'm, what I'm trying to do and what I'm prizing more and more what I'm, is, is to try to simplify everything that I'm learning to the place where it's getting to the more and more and more to the core place where you can just say it over in a couple of sentences. You know? So, so that's, that's kind of the path that I'm on right now. And, and I recommend, if you didn't have a chance to hear last week's talk, I, I, I called it, What's Wrong With Me? Right? It's, it's really about spiritual snake poison, but what I'm trying to do is name the talks after something people will actually Google when they're alone in their room and feeling like 
they're at their end, right? And I, I feel like that person is more likely to Google what's wrong with me than spiritual snake poison. <laughs> That's my calculation. So anyway, but what, what's in that talk is from Reb Sadaka Kohn basically summing up the entire exile in one sentence, in one thought. And here's what he says. So this is my summary of my summary. Here's, here's what he says, but we're go- going to build on it. See, basically, basically, he says that what the, what the, what the snake put into us, and, and everything, all problems in the world, all your personal problems, everything, can be traced back to this one thing, which is that the snake put into us the capacity to think that there is a place where God isn't. And that's basically everything in the world balanced on a pin. The ability to think that there's a place where God isn't. And one of the things that that stems from that is then you say to yourself, if you think that God isn't there, you're also out of touch with the fact that that thing is good. So we disconnect from the fact that God is even in that place where we think that he isn't, where we've been abandoned, so to speak. And then all of a sudden we fail to see God's good. That's why I was saying, I give, I'm giving you the cheat sheet from at the beginning of this talk, which is what Rabbi Nachman is doing in his brilliance, is giving you the solution to everything. Right? Reb Tzadik is telling you, identifying the problem, and Rabbi Nachman is telling you the solution to everything. If you can find the good, then you'll find God's presence. Do you understand? That's the problem, and that's the way back. All right? So, basically, let's just take a step back and understand another very, very core principle that everything goes back to. If you understand this, you're going to understand the secret of your consciousness. I know that's a big, big, big statement to make. But I believe that. I, I really believe it. Here it is. It's all about the connection between the mind and the heart. Everything boils back down to that, between the mind and the heart. And now here is the secret. You ready? The mind thinks what the heart feels. Okay? Say that again. In other words, if you want to know Who's driving the steering wheel of the mind? The answer is the heart. Okay? So, I heard, um, I heard someone say one time, I forgot who, but they were talking about how, you know, you can have a guy who's like a PhD, he's got like three PhDs, and he sits down at a Shabbos table, and, um, and he has some chicken soup, and you know what? There's so many unanswerable questions about life. There's so many things that the Torah says that he either doesn't understand or he disagrees with. But you know what? That soup really hit the spot. <laughs> and when the soup really hits the spot, you become very, very forgiving about things you don't quite understand. Because that heart is the experiential core of your relationship. And when it feels good, then that's what you want. And it directs your mind. 
You know, so my wife loves to tell this story. There's a, there's a story about Eleanor Roosevelt. So Eleanor Roosevelt was married to, to Franklin Delano Roosevelt, right? Like the only four-term president in U.S. history. They changed the United States Constitution so that you can't have another reign like FDR had. You know, you can only have two terms now. That's because he was elected four times to be president of the United States. Unique in, 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 in American history. Okay? So they asked his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt, like, if you hadn't married FDR, what do you think would have been with your, your husband? What do you think he would have been? And she said, he would have also been president. <laughs> in other words... Do you know why FDR is president? Because of me. <laughs> and if I had married someone else, he would have been president. So, so in other words, what's running the show? Like, she's saying the woman is running the show, the woman of the house. And, and that's actually a core Jewish, that's a very Jewish idea, that the house, which is sort of like the core of your reality, is really being run by the woman. And that, that's basically running the show, period. So... By the way, I, 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 I learned this. I, I took a trip to South Africa um, just a few months ago, and, and I, I learned the following. So we're all familiar with the idea that the lion is the king of the jungle, right? Like everybody knows that, right? Lion King, right? Isn't that the name of the movie? Lion King, there you have it, just so simple. So apparently... My guide, who was like, like he was a serious guide, and they really have to train, and they live in the, you know, in, in, you know, in the wilds there. He said that if a lion and an elephant get into a fight, do you know who wins that fight? The elephant wins that fight. So according to that, the elephant runs the jungle, not the lion. And guess what? Elephants are matriarchal which means the king of the jungle is the queen of the, lion, of the elephants. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like, that's not, a common, that's not commonly known. But, 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 but what, I, what I'm trying to do is, I'm, just, I'm offering all of this, this sort of like power dynamic, if you will, to understand the relationship between the heart and the mind, that the heart is actually running the show. And if you want to make real strides in terms of your relationships, especially with God and just happiness and everything like that, it's your heart that has to be addressed. You have to get your heart on board. Okay? Now, I'll show you this dynamic in a pusik. You ready? In a verse. It says, very classic verse. Reshis Hachma, Yiras Hashem, Seichel Tov Lechol Oseyam Tilato Melaat. Okay, let me tell you what that means. See, it's all about axioms. What are you building your, what are you building your system on? What is your, what is your premise? What is your premise? Okay, so I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that there are people who have big minds and small souls. Very interesting, right? And then he said that there are people who have small minds and big souls. Also very interesting. Then he said there are people who have big minds and big souls, and those are the leaders of the generation. Okay? 
So, you know, you have, like, people who, like, you walk into, like, a, a grocery store and they're, like, whatever, they're just kind of putting out the melons. And it's so clear that it's a tzaddik, right? So, if, so, so you see that there's this dynamic where, you know, the mind and the, and the soul don't necessarily correlate, right? Some, sometimes, sometimes, but, but not always. But, but it just tells you that intellect alone Intellect alone is not really a sign of anything. And that's why you have this horrific phenomenon of, of, of Nazi guards who were PhDs leading children by the hand into gas chambers. I mean, it's nuts. It's nuts. But that more than anything, that's sort of like, you know, you just want to boil it down into a nutshell. That alone tells you that the, the correlation between intellect and morality is not in lockstep at all. In fact, sometimes the smarter a person is, the further away they are. Sometimes. Not always. But, but intellect is a, is a big red herring, or it can be. Okay. So, so, re, so your axioms have to be in place. Right? And another, another example that I like. Paro, right, from the Torah, Pharaoh, built one of the greatest civilizations in human history. Like, you go to, like, anywhere, you go to Arkansas, and third graders are learning about this society from thousands of years ago. All over the world, we can't stop learning about how great Egyptian civilization was. So obviously, Paro was a smart dude, was way smart. There's no question about that. So what does Paro ask? You ready? Paro says in the Torah to Moshe, who is God? Who, who is this Hashem that you're talking about? So it shows you, you can be beyond smart and be out of touch with what needs to be the premise. So now let's get back to this idea, Reshis Hachma. This is the core axiom. Reshis Hachma, the beginning of wisdom. What is, what is the beginning of wisdom? Yiras Hashem, the awareness, the knowledge, the awe or the fear of God. In other words, you want to be smart? Here, here, here's the test. You want to be smart? Reshis Hachma, Yiras Hashem. The first thing you have to know is there's a God. Everything gets built on that premise. Now, let's go a little bit deeper in that, because you can see a very phenomenal flow here now. The beginning of wisdom is the awe or the fear of God. Now, awe, yira, is... Let me ask you something. Awe and fear. Do you know what that is? Because, remember, there's two levels to yira. You have lower yira and upper yira, right? Lower yira would be translated as fear, right? What does that mean? That means that um, I've got to keep the mitzvahs because God commanded me, and if I don't, then it's not going to be great for me. Okay, that would be, I'm putting it in a, in a nice way. That's, that, that, would be, that would be fear. But then that's, that's the lower fear. Then you have the higher yira. What's the higher yira? So like the Baal Shem Tov talks about this. You're in the king's palace it's absolutely phenomenal. You're like, your mind is blown. And it's like, you're looking around. It's so awesome. It's so awesome. 
And you don't want to do anything to disturb what's going on there. You don't want to be like knocking off vases with your like with your elbows and like tracking mud like through like the king's like inner courtyard, right? So that's that's awe. Alright, that's that's the higher level. But by the way, both necessary. Like the bottom level, like I gotta do it because God's running the show. Don't get too fancy in your spirituality. You, you understand? Like, like you can't walk around thinking, oh, I did something wrong, God's going to zap me. God's out to get me. If that's your relationship with God, it's a bummer. And that's, it can't be that. But you can't lose sight of the fact that Hashem is the king. Right? That's important. But, but what do we say? We fuse these ideas together. We say, Avinu Malkeinu. Right? Our father, our king. It's one phrase. In other words, our father is coming first. You feel the intimacy of that relationship, the closeness of that love, and then comes our king. But don't get, you know, don't start slapping your dad around. <laughs> like, it's also the king, you know? So, and it kind of goes back and forth. Okay, good. So, but what I'm trying to tell you is that, let's get back to our core axiom here, because what I'm trying to do is explain the dynamics between the mind and the heart, okay? So we started off by saying that the heart, right, that's, that's the Eleanor Roosevelt, okay? The heart is really directing the mind, right? So, Reishis Hachma, the beginning of wisdom, that's the mind. Hachma means the mind. Rishis Hachma, the beginning of wisdom. Yiras Hashem. Now, Yira, awe or fear, however you want to translate it, is an emotion, isn't it? It's not, it's not something that you... It's not 5 plus 7 equals 12. It's an emotion. Okay, so... Reishis Hachma Yiras Hashem. So the beginning of wisdom is this emotion or the heart. See, because the way you think is going to go by your Yira, your emotion, which is your heart. And then what's the next phrase? Seichel Tov. That then is going to redirect itself back up into your brain and tell you how to think. So you have here this sort of like, this ecosystem of the way the human species operates, which is that, which is that the heart is, is, is going up into the mind. But then, then the mind actually has to kick in. Because if the heart starts to want like inappropriate things, then the mind has to say, Okay, let's go. We've got certain marching orders here. And then the mind has a very active and important role to step in at that moment. See, it can't just sort of be an emotion-based thing. Like, I feel like it, don't feel like it. You know what I really feel like? Come over here, I don't want to say it in front of everyone. Right? That's when the mind's got to kick in. <laughs> go, no, 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 that's not right. Okay, so that's the role of the mind now. But what I'm trying to tell you is that if you want to sort of like think 
in a really beautiful way, you've got to get your heart on board first and foremost. And how is that going to be done? By seeing the good in everything. That's how you can kickstart that consciousness and get your heart on board. Now, now I want to I want to go deeper and just hopefully in a very super clear way. You see, the key problem, the key problem is even though many of us will accept in some form or another, and you can use your own words how you want to say it, that there's a God. Maybe you don't want to use the word God, it's all good. However you want to say it, there's something out there, a power, whatever, energy, force, whatever, however you want to phrase it, right? Most people will say there's, there's something out there. But here's the key step. Is that force involved in your life? And is that force involved in your life in a way that's good? That's the part that we really have to make strides in, understanding the goodness of God. Now, here comes it boiled down. You ready? Can't get more boiled down to this. Here's how people think. If I get what I want, God is good. (laughs) If I don't get what I want, God is not good. (laughs) We've got to break that connection. All right? We've got to break that connection by thinking that God is only good if I get what I want. Once I stop getting what I want, God ceases to be good. That is the core work. Now, how do you do it? How do you get to that place? And now we've come full circle back to the story about Reb Zusha. Right? This is the reason why I told you the story about Reb Zusha for right now. How does a guy who's a pious, holy person, one of the holiest figures in Jewish history, okay, who's also like a tremendous Torah scholar, who's living in utter poverty in a broken-down, ramshackled hut. How does he, and there wasn't any lack of intelligence here, how does he get to a place where someone comes up to him and says, I, you are the person who can explain what it means to live in difficult circumstances? And he's like, they sent you to me? <laughs> how do you get to that place? And the answer is, if your heart is on board with seeing the goodness in everything, if your heart is on board with seeing the goodness, God's goodness in everything, of understanding that there is no place where God isn't, if your heart is on board, your mind will be on board. But I'm telling you right now, if you want to learn a hundred different Safers, right? hundred different brilliant tracks of utter brilliance and holiness and depth. If you think you can get to that place through your mind alone, you're kidding yourself. It will never happen because your heart will be saying, guess what, between you and me, this sucks. (laughs) 
And that's what you're going to be thinking. And you can pile a million books on top of your head and it's not going to work. It is only going to work if you get your heart on board. Now listen to the amazingness of this. You ready for this? If you can get your heart on board, if you can actually get your heart on board and understand in your heart that God is good and that everything that comes from God is good, even if it's hard, even if there's suffering, God forbid, even if you'll never understand it, if you can get on board that God is good, your entire life becomes good. (laughs) Everywhere you are is good. Whatever you want, you have because you have God. And who could want anything more than the infinite one? And you know you have him wherever you go, whatever you do. So you have everything wherever you go. You've won the jackpot. (laughs) Now, I want to make this in contrast, right, to to the Twilight Zone version of this, (laughs) okay? Classic Twilight Zone episode where... There's a, the episode opens up, there's a thief, he's trying to climb a fence, he gets shot in the back and dies, he wakes up in a luxury hotel room, he's like dressed in this dapper way, models and showgirls are walking in, whatever he wants he gets, every time he rolls the dice it's 7 or 11, everything he wants, whatever he wants it instantly appears and he has everything and it goes on and on. And then all of a sudden he says he can't understand it. He says, he looks at the life that he led and he says, how is it possible that I went to heaven? And they say, oh, this is hell. And then he realizes that whatever he does, it works out and that he, it becomes like a curse. He can't change anything. It's just happy, 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 happy. And there's no, no chance for growth. God made this world for growth. There will be tremendous opportunities for growth in this world. But you can have the best of both worlds, where you can grow and you can confront challenge and you can overcome it. And at the same time, you're seeing the goodness in absolutely everything and enjoying the ride because you're in this direct relationship with God. Rabbi Freeman said something interesting. I didn't know this. He said that the most often used word in the sitter is the word ata, which means you. As in baruch ata, blessed are you. And then Hashem, who's like infinite, right? So it said that's a that's by the way an, an amazing juxtaposition in the formulation of a, a prayer that you have you, which is second person. We're talking about you, the one right in front, like you, right there, extant, like mamish, right there. And then Hashem, you just took like this elevator ride into like the stratosphere. But they're right together. Does that, does that sound like a Vinu Malkeinu again? Ata Hashem, right? But the idea is people understand Hashem more or less. More or less. They understand the concept of a God. It's the Atta that they don't understand. They don't understand the closeness of God. 
and I heard these words from Reb Shlomo with my own ears and it changed my whole life. He said that people intuitively understand that God is far away. And he said these words, the greatest Kiddush Hashem, which means sanctification of God's name, the greatest sanctification of God's name that a person can make is to show people the closeness of God. And that's all about the Atta. And you know what the Atta is? To bring this full circle with Reb Tzadik Hakon's teaching, what did we say that Reb Tzadik boiled all the problems of all the world, all your life, everything, boiled it down to one statement. People think there's a place where God isn't. And what's the solution to that? Atta. Because <laughs> Atta means God's right there right now. Right? And you see that the Chachamim, the sages, built in that word, that built in that cure, right into the sitter, the most often word, Atta, you. Because if you have that direct relationship, if you have that, if you have that knowledge that God is there, and that God is good, which means good is there. Now remember, we have to review this concept of good, because it's very tricky for people. It's a very complicated thought for most people. You have two levels of good. You have sweet, good, and sweet. Sweet is the level of good which is revealed. Hey, Mazel Tov! That's sweet. Right? Congratulations! Oh, I just saw that! It's so great! That, that's, that's revealed good. That's, that's the sweet. And remember, that's why it's like fun for kids, but it's, it's, not, it's not a kid thing. That's why we're using honey on Rosh Hashanah, because we want a sweet year. Right? We want the revealed good, the good that we can, we can see. Then we have another kind of good, which the world calls bad. <laughs> okay? Right? We're, we have to be like, very straightforward here. That level of good, which the world calls bad, is it hurts. It hurts so much. But if we know that it's coming from the place from the one who loves us the most, from the one who sees all of our previous lives, the one who sees the entire future, the one who knows what we need to fix in our lifetime. And that's exactly that what we need, right? Remember, remember the great mushal that Rib Shlomo said over. You're looking through a peephole. He's describing this world. You ready? You're looking through a peephole and you see there's someone with a knife over another person about to cut them open, and you say, it's a murder about to take place. But when you go around, you open up the door, you see what's going on. There's a surgery taking place, and the person's life is being saved. Right? We see such a small piece of reality. And based on this small piece of reality, we, we make so many judgments. But God knows. But God knows. So... So now I want to just try to put something into words. You see, I was, I was dealing with an actor. I, I don't want to mention his name, but he's, he's one of the top comedic actors today. Okay, he's on a lot of shows and he's like, like, like you know, like a really cool, hip, like celebrity, okay? So I was talking with him. And I, I asked him, he's got a series on right now, and I said, uh, you know, do you know about your next season or whatever? He goes, no, but, you know, there's always something else. He goes, like this show, like the show that we were working on together. He says, like this show, like, I didn't see this coming, but 
all of a sudden it appeared, and there it was. Right? And he says, and that's how it happens. You don't see it, but then there are other things out there, and then, then, then they're there. So when I had my first child, um, I remember... Uh, you know, I was a, a new dad, and, 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 you know, when a child cries, it's, like, very enervating. It's like, ah, like, you know, you, and you, you'll learn that there are different types of cries, by the way. There's the I'm hungry cry, I need my diaper changed cry, um, um, whatever, I just want to be held cry. There, there are different types of cries, right? But when you're new to it, it's just um, in horrible pain, <laughs> just take me, you know, you don't know what it is. It's just like... It's like panic mode, right? So he was doing one of those cries, and I wanted to try to, you know, obviously help him like as fast as I could. And, and I figured out that he's hungry, he needs a, a bottle. And so I start making a bottle, and, um, and, and he's still crying as, as badly and as intensely as he had been before. And I'm, you know, like just, like, just kind of like out of sorts. I'm just trying to do my best. And I can't figure out, I'm making the bottle, like, right in front of him. Why is he still crying? He wants, he wants the bottle. Here's the bottle. Like, why are you crying? And, and then it's like, I start to put it toward his mouth. He's still crying, crying, crying. And then I put it in his mouth. Ah, uh, he's fine. And then I learned a little bit later that babies can only see a few inches in front of their face. And I realized, wow, that's all of us. There are salvations being prepared for us in front of our eyes, and we literally don't have the eyes to see them. And then I thought what this actor friend of mine was saying, that, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, there's, you don't know it's out there, and then you find out about it, and then it's there. And I thought to myself, like, okay, let's say you're coming to the end of a contract, right? Like for you freelancers out here, you'll be able to relate to this. And let's liken the end of a contract to the edge of a cliff. (laughs) So you're heading toward a cliff, right? Because this gig is ending and you don't know what's next, right? But now, now let's change up the imagery based on everything we've learned up until now. There are other things there but you can't see them. But they're there. And you're not imagining that they're there. They actually are there. You just can't see them. But how do you, how do you get to the point where you can actually see them? Ah, we're back to the heart. We're back to the heart, which is the key to everything. If in your heart you know God is good, then you know those things are there even if you can't see them. And your heart will tell your brain, and your brain will go, that's right, I can't see them. But if your heart's not on board, your brain is going to be saying, they're not there, they're not there, they're not there. But if your heart's on board, your brain will go, oh, they're there, we can't just see them. And then you're in a good place. Now, I want to say something, and I haven't seen this written. This is just coming from me, right? 
We know that the Gomorrah says that when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, all the snake poison was cleansed from us. Okay? Then we do the sin of the golden calf, and it comes back. Because basically, if you study the sin of the golden calf and eating from the tree of knowledge, it's basically the same story. So, so, so we get back into this whatever place we had been in, being able to think that there's a place where God isn't. Like that becomes our consciousness again to this day. So I thought to myself, how, why, why did that happen? How did that happen? And so I want to say the following. This is just me talking. You see, it says in Pirkei Avos, it talks about all these great things, like the, the, they wanted to figure out, like, what is, if you could have, like, one good quality, one good personality trait, what would it be? So the different sages are throwing out different ideas. One says a good eye. Very, very important. And by the way, we started this talk by saying, what kind of eyes are you seeing the world with? And the secret to having a good eye, to seeing the, the world in a good way, surprise, surprise, goes back to your heart, right? Because normally speaking, here's how most people learn it, but we're going to learn it more deeply in a second. Most people say, including Rashi, and this is also true, by the way, but there's deeper than what I'm about to tell you. The eye sees, and then the heart desires, okay? And then the body acts, okay? That's, that's the normal chain of events, but it, it goes deeper than that, okay? That's, a more, that's not inaccurate, but it's a little bit superficial, okay? What it says in the Torah is, V'losasuru which means don't travel, don't run after your heart, comes first, and your eyes. Isn't that interesting that the Torah puts the heart before the eyes? And the answer is that, that while it's true, the eye sees and then the heart desires, but the Torah puts the heart first. Because, are you ready? If the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. Do you understand? Again, it all goes back down to fixing your heart. If your heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't see. Now, just give you, again, we have to make all these things real, right? My dad was a psychologist, all of a show. For 50 years, he had his practice. And among other things, he did couples counseling and things like that. And, you know, there would be people who were in inappropriate relationships, even when they were married. And he would talk to them about it and, you know, try to get them in a good place. And one of the examples, my dad liked to give very concrete examples. One of the examples that he would give is the following. If you have a satisfying meal in a restaurant, do you leave the restaurant and then look at other restaurants and go, where should we have dinner again? <laughs> right? You don't, you don't do that. You don't do that, right? So if the heart doesn't desire, the eye doesn't sing. That's, that's, that's what it's about. And again, how did we say, how do we fix the heart? What's the direct most, what's the express way to fixing the heart? What Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says, searching out the good in everything. Not 
you understand? Searching out, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that. You have to look at each situation till you've convinced yourself that you've found a point of good. Just a point. A point of good in every person or in every situation. And then after a certain period of time, your mind will get on board with that. You'll train yourself. Remember, to redirect your thoughts is not like, okay, I'm going to try to be more positive. It doesn't work like that. You have to, you have to redirect the rushing river, right? Your thoughts are a rushing river. People think thoughts are little like wisps that can be easily rearranged. It's not. It's a rushing river. If you want to redirect the, fl- the path of a river and make it go right instead of left, that requires a lot of work. You have to really respect the pathways of your mind. Okay? But this is how to do it. You actively search out a good point in a situation or a good point in a person, and over time, your mind will bend to see the goodness, which is the truth. Which is the truth. Okay? Okay. So now I want to get back to the point which is just my thought, okay? Which is, so, but we have to finish this pair Avos first. So a good eye, a good eye is, is the best quality. That's one opinion. A good neighbor, that, that's to be a good neighbor. That's, that's the next best thing. Now, by the way, again, important shot. Reb Shlomo says, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So Reb Shlomo says, you know what, who your neighbor is? Whoever's standing next to you. Right? Just a radical new way of understanding that. It's whoever is right next to you. That's your neighbor. Okay? Um, so a person who, um, who, who pays back on time. Right? That's, that's interesting. But, but the, you, the winning answer, the winning answer, not surprisingly, is someone who has a good heart. And and that all of those other positive characteristics are contained within a person who has a good heart. So a good heart is the, is the headquarters of all of your good attributes. It's the foundation, which is what we've been saying this entire time. Now, based on this, I want to say the following, okay? You see, we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, but the receiving of the Torah wasn't complete. You think, what do you mean it wasn't complete? Because Moshe didn't get a chance to ascend, or descend, rather, to terra firma, to firm ground, to the bottom of the mountain, with the tablets intact. In other words, that was the completion of the receiving of the Torah. And that never took place, at least initially, right? When was the crucial time. Okay. Now that day was supposed to be a Jewish holiday and the Zechariah, the prophet says the 17th of Tammuz, that was the 17th of Tammuz when, when the, um, when, when the uh, Luchos smashed, which was the day we worshipped the golden calf, right? That was, that was the day that the tablet smashed. And Aaron Cohen says on the 16th, the day before, he was trying to delay the people so that they wouldn't make the golden calf. He says, wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a holiday. Now, he said that in a way 
to get them just to delay them and to think, oh, the golden calf holiday is actually tomorrow. But Rabbi Wolfson points out in a much deeper level, no, the 17th of Tammuz actually is a legitimate holiday, and Zachariah the Navi says it's going to be a holiday in the future. What was that holiday going to be? The finishing of the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, when Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets. Now we're ready for what I wanted to say. I want to give a shot on what does it mean to have a good heart. Right? You see, if everything boils down to having a good heart, well, we got to know what's a good heart, right? So I want to say the definition of having a good heart is the following. Knowing in your heart that God is good. If you know in your heart that God is good, and I'm basically using those words as defined by this entire talk, if you know in your heart that God is good, then you've got a good heart. Meaning to say that you know there, there is no such thing as a place where God isn't, and you know that God's goodness is absolutely everywhere, then you have a good heart. Now, you're ready for this? The 17th of Tammuz, what 17 is the gematria of the word tov? Which is good which means good in Hebrew. In other words, and what does God say? Carve the Torah into your heart. So the tablets are your heart, and the 17th of Tammuz, which is when we were going to finish receiving the Torah, is good. It didn't take place. It never got a chance to take place. The finishing up of the heart didn't get a chance to take place. And that's the exile, and that's the work we're in to this day. To finish up that moment where we know in our heart that God is good. Because when you know that, your entire life changes, and the entire world changes too.